Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 68th episode, I'll be talking to Vita Ayala about, well, we didn't really end up getting a topic. We talked about stuff and, and also things. So stuff and things it is. Along the way, we discuss how even muggers don't deserve the DMV, reading complicated literature for simple people, and how the story of Puerto Rican Wonder Woman shows that representation really matters. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on the map of you. We join this conversation already in progress. Niggas fighting over rings, niggas won't be the game, but long little cheek. For a little old thing, little boys bang bang. Long little cheek. Niggas fighting over rings, niggas won't be the game, but long little cheek. Yeah, watch pretty mama while I slay my cane. Long little chief. Uh, cockroaches in the ratchet. Uh, hand me downs with the patches. Mama put a little money in the mattress. Taught me how to make a silver spoon out of plastic. You can either sink or right, swim yeah. So, for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? <laughs> My name is Vita Ayala, and I write comic books, which is apparently a thing that makes me a unique snowflake. I like it. <laughs> I like it too. And I always love asking that question because no one knows quite how to answer it, but everyone kind of goes, yeah, yeah, I did. I am. And it's true. So yes, you do write comic books. In fact, you have a new comic book coming out. Is that right? Yeah, I have a comic dropping in February. It's available for pre-order now called The Wilds. It's been described as floral horror. I probably should look up the pitch and give like the log line, but it's basically like zombie post-apocalypse, except that the zombies are beautiful, basically. They have colorful plants growing out of them and they can become part of nature and that kind of stuff. So it's a series about trying to survive the end of the world when nature doesn't want you to. Listeners, last week I spoke with Emily Pearson, who was the artist on this book. And when she described the flower zombies, I came up with this like mental picture of like one of the plants versus zombies zombies with like a sunflower growing out of his head. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute. And then I actually thought about it and it was like something out of Hannibal. And uh, I got really uncomfortable because <laughs> there was, oh God, what was that movie? Was it like The Wilds or something where these like teenagers were stuck on a pyramid because these vines would like grow to stop them. And there was like a horrible scene where someone had like a leg wound and the vines grew into it and I went ah. oh yeah like it was like the ruins or something like That's that right one. yeah 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 it was a terrible oh, that movie. was gnarly <laughs> <laughs> it was a terrible movie but it hit it hit that particular kind of fierce spot in you where it's like that's just, yeah. just gross enough that I see why your movie got greenlit. Yeah, that's kind of like what we wanted in a way, I think. We wanted to show just how horrifying and beautiful nature can be in terms of like the zombies, the abominations. And I just had this image of like flowers growing out of wounds and stuff like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's terrifying. Yeah, if I saw a person walking down the street with that, I would not know what to do with myself. So <laughs> it's to work. And listeners might recognize Vita's name as being one of the graduating class of the DC Writers Workshop. Although, when I looked up your resume to just get the details right and the dates right and stuff, I noticed that it name checks your opinions on New York pizza. And I would not be myself, and this would not be this show, if I didn't ask about those opinions. So tell me about your opinions on cheap New York pizza. I mean, listen, if you can get the right balance of sauce and cheese and it's cheap, I think it's good. But if we're talking like actual pizza that, you know, when you visit New York, you should eat. My favorite joint actually exploded, which is unfortunate. Literally exploded. Wait, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, there was a 
<laughs> it happens every once in a while in New York. This also <laughs> happened the Palm Frites. So, oh man, where there was some contract work going on, and they hit the gas main and blew up the building. <laughs> but my secondary place is still operational. There's a spot in Brooklyn called Roberta's that has some really amazing pizza. It's a little on the pricier side, but mm -hmm. it's definitely worth the money for sure. My wife will be very happy to hear it. <laughs> We've had some previous guests who have had some, let's say, controversial opinions on New York pizza, referring to most New York pizza as shitty mall pizza. And the tide mm. of Twitter responses that I got after that. Were they from Chicago? <laughs> no, it was Melissa Bright. Hi, Melissa. She was originally from Houston and now lives in New York. Oh, um, you know what? There's just a difference there. It's yeah. the water. It, it really is. The water that goes into the dough really does make a difference in terms of the texture and taste. And barring California pizza, which is the worst pizza I've ever had in my life, it is absolute trash. Where you grew up in the water will affect what you think of as good pizza, except for people from California understand that they have the worst pizza. But that's okay, because they have the best Mexican food outside of Mexico. Well, there you go. So. All right, Vita, well, let's start with the basics. Whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in New York City. I grew up in the Lower East Side, Alphabet City. If anyone has seen Rent, that <laughs> is where I grew up, that neighborhood. Or more recently, if anyone has seen Jessica Jones, the place that they're pretending is Hell's Kitchen is my neighborhood, <laughs> my old neighborhood. It was the 80s and early 90s, and it was pretty much exactly like Rent, actually. Whenever someone mentions this in New York, it's, I've only been to New York once, but I did kind of wander all over. And I was looking up Alphabet City, and I'm like, yeah, I, I did go over there because I had this idea that I was going to go to Katz's, and I got yelled at by the people there and then told not to sit where I was sitting, and I went, fuck it, and walked out. <laughs> Sounds right. And then I walked, like, north eight blocks, and I went to Harry and Ida's, and I had the most amazing sandwich I've ever had. So, yeah, I have fond memories of Alphabet City. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's got a certain charm. It's definitely changed in my 30s now, and there's a stark difference between when I was a kid and now. But there are some things that stay the same. Katz's is still there. It's still mm. expensive. Expensive as hell. Uh, Russ and Daughters is also still there. It was like like Sydney prices. And I did not expect that. I mean, New York is a pretty expensive city, but you can definitely get by and have really, really good food if you know where to look. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we don't really tell tourists that kind of stuff. <laughs> and that's fair. In Sydney, uh, up until recently, there was a one-story like elevated monorail in, in the, sort of the downtown area. Literally nobody used it except for tourists because it went in like <laughs> this like four block by four block square. And it went from like the Powerhouse Museum to like the casino down to like Pitt Street and then wrapped around and that's the only place it would go and visiting comedians used to look at this and go that's genius you've taken all your tourists and you've raised them off street level it's brilliant so you can go about <laughs> your lives oh god that's so that is brilliant <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> there's no way to implement that in new york but that would be incredible it just goes from like madison square garden to times square to lincoln center and just that's it just back and forth go to change.org and set up a, an agreement to raise times square by two stories and so everyone else can live in the undercity that sounds wonderful <laughs> i will let you know how my campaign to do this goes i'd vote for you <laughs> so growing up in alphabet city back in the day what sort of kid were you i was weird <laughs> I grew up, I'm Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican and black. Spanish was my first language. I don't speak it very well anymore. I understand it. But so whenever I would like play with other kids, there was a pretty severe language barrier. And when I went to school, it was a culture shock. 
I was just like, whoa, what is this? When I was really young, I used to think that English was like a made up adult language that they were speaking <laughs> so that like we kids couldn't understand. So I would just walk into the midst of the adults and be like, blah, 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 blah. And then to find out that it's real, forget it. I, <laughs> I came home. I remember this distinctly. I came home and I'd been so excited to go to school. And I came home and I was like, mom, what, what happened? <laughs> what's going on and she was like oh I did not prepare you <laughs> but no I was fine I was just strange I have a lot of brothers and sisters and I had plenty of friends and I was very in my own head I used to make up a lot of stories all the time and just tell them to myself constantly and or play them out with my toys and then eventually when I learned how to read much 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 later than most people I was 10 going on 11 I think or maybe wow. yeah about that age I just like I could go out and like get in trouble and stuff or I could just sit and read a bunch of books and so I would just sit around like reading books and trying to talk to people about them, like my peers and be like, you're weird. Like, okay, I'm going to go talk to the adults then. I'll see you later. <laughs> I was just that kid. I mean, I got into a lot of trouble. Amongst my siblings, I'm known as the troublemaker and the one that like, you know, took risks. I mugged my own mother once. I, uh, oh, um, I got sorry. lost. I'm sorry. I cannot go past that. How did you mug your own mother? Not, not mother, mugger. Oh, mugged a mugger. Okay. That's a better story. Yeah. No, my mom. Are you kidding me? My mom is like the sweetest person on the planet. She's like Snow White, but like Puerto Rican, but like she'll mess you up. Like I wouldn't mess with my mom. No way. She was a social worker for 30 years. Are you kidding me? So you mugged your own mugger. Yeah, that's the thing that happened. It is my sibling Danny's favorite story that I tell. They made me tell it once seven times in a day. The long and short of it was I had pretty bad insomnia when I was a teenager. It was probably, I have no idea why. It could be all the coffee that I used to drink. <laughs> like 300 ounces a day oh, maybe i don't know it's new york it never sleeps so i had i've had my keys to my apartment you know since mm. i was a kid i was a latchkey kid and so i would just leave at night and go walking for like hours mm -hmm. i'd take my little like sony walkman discman and go walking and i remember i was 15 i just gotten a new walkman and it was the kind of like discman where you could put a data disc in Ooh. so you went from having like 12 songs to like 112 it blew my mind an embarrassment of riches Oh, man, these kids will never understand. <laughs> will never understand that like mind opening moment. But so I I was like, I'm going to walk until this thing runs out of like music or runs out of juice. And so I walked up to Harlem from the Lower East Side and I was not prepared for New York in its entirety because in Alphabet City, there aren't really like alleyways and stuff. There are some narrow blocks that lead to another block, but there are very few just straight up alleys. I thought that they were bullshit that was made up for Ninja Turtles. So I'm walking <laughs> just headphones blasting, not paying attention. I mean, paying attention, but not not as aware as I should be. And this dude jumps out of an alley <laughs> and he has a knife. And he's like, give me your fucking wallet. And I was like, what is happening? So I like, I take off the headphones and he's like, you fucking, you know, stop fucking with me. Give me your wallet. And I was like, yeah, no, no problem. Absolutely, because I'm 15 and terrified. There's a crazy man with a knife and I'm reaching into my pocket and I drop the wallet because I'm t I'm shaking. I'm terrified. He's like, pick that shit up. You fucking, you don't, you don't know what I'll do to you. And I was like, oh, okay, man, like no problem. And I bend down to pick up the wallet. And at this point, I always say, I do not suggest doing this ever. <laughs> I did not do this on purpose. <laughs> There's a reason I'm a Gryffindor. I did not do this on purpose. Please, no one ever do this. I started losing time. And so I bent down to pick up the wallet. And then I saw a pipe on the ground. Oh, boy. And then the pipe was in my hand. <laughs> and then I was swinging the pipe at this guy's wrist which is awful. I'm not, I'm not saying people should hurt each other. And I was hearing this sound like a wet celery snap noise. 
terrible. Mm. And then I had his knife. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and I'm still terrified, still shaking. And he's looking at me, he's like, oh, you fucking broke my arm. And I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. You give me your wallet. I intended to do that. <laughs> Caution in case I do it again. A hundred percent on purpose. He's like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Give me your wallet, man. And then he's like, oh shit. So he, give, he gave me his wallet. <laughs> He had like 40 bucks. So I took the $40, but I gave him back his wallet because I didn't want him to be without his IDs. I don't, it was, I was not thinking. Yeah. Even after breaking a dude's wrist with a pipe, you didn't want to like sentence somebody to the DMV. Back then, forget it. It was the freaking worst. And so I was like, yeah, next time you think about doing this, you know, don't, don't, because uh, you don't know if they're crazy. It was like the worst, like little kid, like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm it's fine. And then I ran for my life. <laughs> I ran, I jumped the turnstile, I threw up on the train, and I was like, I'm never coming to Harlem again, uh, which is not true. I came one more time. But anyway, I'm a mess. <laughs> you're a mess slash you're a superhero. Ah, oh, God, no one should ever do what I do. Hey, you have just scripted a perfectly good issue of comics. I am just saying. I have four stories that I'm forced to tell over and over again, and three of them are me getting into trouble Late at night, two in Harlem, one on the A train, and the other is an adventure my sister had in the subway. And they would make really great stories, but I feel like I don't know what genre they would be in. You know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, funnily enough, that leads me to a question that I had with Emily last week. Because we got a little bit into talking about layouts and scripting and things like that around comics. And we sort of waited, and this is something that bugs me because I've been listening to a Watchmen page-by-page -page called Under the Hood, which is really good. What they talk about is Alan Moore's scripting and how incredibly dense it is and how every book on every shelf is listed and like the angle of something in relation to something else. And maybe it's the contrarian in me, but I'm like, wouldn't that be just like incredibly prescriptive and kind of like be quashing any kind of collaboration you would have with your artist? But I talked to Emily about it and she's like, no, actually, that's not so bad in that sometimes you want to know exactly what you want to do. And other times you want to be creative, but other times you just like want to get it right. So what are your views on that? The reason I ask is because as you were explaining this, I was like scripting this story in my head and being like, okay, I can see this as like, you know, like a you know, panel grid and like where you see the pipe and then you see the knife and then the thing happens in the middle and then you see the reactions and yeah, et cetera. So I apologize. I realize it's a long boat to draw no, no. to go from an actual story to, hey, how do you script comic books? No, no, no. Every story that we tell is a piece of how we would put it down on paper. So it's, it's not a stretch. I have a default that I go to when I don't know who the artist is or when I haven't had feedback about it. And that is, I've read some Elmore scripts He's incredibly detailed. I could never hope to achieve that level of detail. And so I do not try. Somebody told me this semi-recently and it had always been what I'd done, but they put it really succinctly in which they said, I think Joel Jones maybe said this, where it was like, give me an action, give me an emotion and get out of my way. And I was like, I like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. I tend to, what I do is before the panel breakdowns at the top of the page, I'll be like, this is the tone of the page. This is some of the things that I was thinking of going into the story. All right, here we go. And then I'll do the panel breakdown. And it seems to work. I've had artists ask me to be more specific about stuff to give that really like minute detail and call the shots and stuff. And I've been like, all right, like if that's what you want. But I tend to trust the people that illustrate for a living to understand <laughs> kind of the visual medium a little better than I do as someone who is much more textually like oriented. I mean, we all like read the comics and we see movies and people who are able to experience things that way have an idea of it. But 
I can't draw, man. Like, I, <laughs> I can't tell you how to draw. Like, I can tell you what I'm thinking should happen on this page and the story that I want to tell. And that's all I got. Like, maybe Alan Moore can draw. Maybe what that's why he does it. I know Grant Morrison can draw. I have never read a Grant Morrison script. I should because I enjoy God. his stuff. But I enjoy his stuff too, but I imagine his scripts would be terrifying. Just, God, so much. They're either nothing. Like, they're either just cutout pictures or just novels. Like, I, I can't imagine them being in between. <laughs> this whole conversation that I had with Emily started because I had read a Neil Gaiman book where he talks about how he writes and stuff and he said like when he did his comic book scripting he learned a script from Alan Moore and he's like and I'm sure many of my, the artists that I worked with wished I had learned from someone else <laughs> I can't that it seems to me I think for me personally, I can't dictate what's right and wrong in terms of how you collaborate with someone. So I can only speak for myself. But for me, part of the excitement that comes with, you know, writing comics and sharing in this medium is turning it over to this other person and seeing what they do. That personally brings me joy. And so I I feel like I would be kind of lessening that for myself and probably for them too if I held control so tightly. I just feel like I have a lot of friends that are artists. Half of my siblings are visual artists. And I, you know, I tend to ask them like, what do you want to do? What do you want to draw? All right, well, that's what I'm going to do for you. And, you know, it just seems... Like you said, it seems to be a little less collaborative mm -hmm. otherwise. But that again, who knows? Some artists, like Emily said, maybe sometimes you just want to know exactly what to draw so you can get it down on paper. But And sometimes you'll have an artist who goes, ah, look, man, no horses. I don't want... No, I don't want to draw first today. <laughs> One of my best friends is an artist, Stevie Wilson, and she she's like, no artists want to draw horses or spaceships. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm sorry for everyone that works with me. It's probably horses and spaceships. Yeah, everyone has their thing, and it's like, oh, I don't want to draw cars because then I have to go and research what kind of car it would be. And it's like looking at cars from the mid-70s and fuck it, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I do the leg, as much of the legwork as I can. That's mm -hmm. one of the things I do. I hyperlink. I'll put in like, here's a reference photo for you or whatever. And I'll send them to either, you know, visual stuff online. Sometimes I just finished a script where I wasn't sure if the artist knew what Texas Hold'em was because that's a part of <laughs> what's going on in the background. And so I was like, here's a really, really great website that is literally just one page breaks it down with visuals but also gives you an explanation just in case like because mm -hmm. you you don't want to make it any harder for this person they have to do the layouts they have to pencil and ink it like because yeah then you'll get one person who is just like uh i am an experienced texas hold'em player and i think you'll find that the setup that is happening behind the main character would never happen in an actual game <laughs> you guess that too that too yeah right like, as i adjust my glasses which uh, i am doing right now i can't even <laughs> i can't even throw shade because i get really mad when i see like old cameras in movies and they're doing it wrong like listeners to the show know i got really mad well, among other things, I got really mad at the camera in Batman vs. Superman because Jimmy Olsen has right. like a $9,000 collector's film Leica in the middle of a desert war zone. Why would you do that? And he drops it and the back falls off, which one, that would never happen. It's a Leica. Those things are machined to the, within an inch of their lives. And two, when it pops open, it shows like a gold supermarket ass like Kodak CN200, <laughs> like the kind you would buy at the, at the checkout before you left the grocery store. And I'm like, okay, no. <laughs> One, even if he is like some weird, beautiful unicorn film shooter journalist, he would not be using supermarket. Like he didn't stop at the CVS before he went to the desert war zone, you know? He's on his backup of backup of backup film. Yeah. It's really rough. But no, the, the worst, the one that had me throwing shit at the screen was Jurassic World because the little kid with the floppy Haley Joel Osment hair, they give him a Diana Mini, which is like, it's an analog camera. 
it's like a little toy camera and it's a great little camera i've got one and it takes half frame photos and it's like really small and dinky so like a kid can use it but then when he shoots with it it does the like it would with an electric camera and i'm like no first off that camera is like stamped plastic and one spring held together with like spit and good intentions you know there is no motor on that thing there is no automatic advance and he's going click click i'm just like no hurt my soul gotta talk to that foley guy and it's just like i know why you're doing it because you look at that and you go okay it's a cute kids camera and then there's the foley guy in the back going okay it needs a camera shutter sound and you're like no i've held that camera it makes a clack sound like an awful noise that would be even better to have in that movie just the clack actually you know what hold on for one sec i'll be right back all right i'm back so i have in my hands a diana mini that i grabbed off my shelf and listen to the sound that's it. That's oh, all you get. Man. That almost sounds like a viewfinder, man. <laughs> yeah, so you, you do that clack, which, by the way, you have to hold the camera really tight because it's so little, and you have to really slam that shutter lever that it usually makes the camera shake. And so it's oh. it's the worst little camera, but it's kind of great. And there you go. Old school. Oh, I haven't heard that noise in like 10 years. <laughs> oh my God. Ah, uh, yes. No, I went and grabbed it off the rack of film cameras that I have in my hallway, which it's funny because they're selling this house out from under us, but they're having a bad time because they're asking way too much money. And the Sydney housing market is fucked. They came in and the photographer came in to do the shots to make the house look pretty so people will buy it. And he came up the wall and he looked and he's like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, that's my cameras. And he's like, oh, can I ask about, I'm like, no, you can take the photo and you can leave because you're selling our house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, yeah, be wowed. Get the fuck out. Maybe he'll now try and make it look as ugly as possible to save your camera space. Oh, no, I checked. They did that real estate photo thing where they had the entire room lit by some kind of invisible internal sun. <laughs> Anyway, coming rocketing back to you. Yeah, no, no. All good. That was a hell of a tangent. I'm sorry, dude. No, no sorry. man, I feel you. New York is just as bad. I mean, oh my God. there's some wild. I've been, because Kimiko loves the Property Brothers. So we've been watching these Canadian house selling and renovation shows. And they're like, oh, we want a four bedroom house with three bathrooms and two car spaces and a big backyard. And we have $350,000. And, they're, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, what? And they're like, yeah, we can do it. We'll actually come in with like, you know, 40000 left over to do all the renovations. And I'm just like, you fucking what? And then I'm like, okay, so I did the math. And I'm like, that would not buy a shitty one-bedroom apartment with the old fixtures and rats crawling out of the roof in Sydney. Like, not even. Like, that would not buy... $300,000? That's hilarious. Like, that would not buy parking like, in Sydney. <laughs> I don't know a lot about the house market because I'm an apartment person. I'm sure my wife can tell you all about it. But yeah, that's laughable. Short answer, it sucks. But <laughs> yeah, it's bananas. But I mean, apartments are no good either. Mm -hmm. When we moved out of the apartment that I had grown up in, in 2007, we were paying like $600 for rent. We'd been there forever since mm -hmm. like the 60s. And our upstairs neighbor, who were a new, shiny, gentrifying couple, were paying like 3500 Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, a month. <laughs> same exact layout, same exact layout, same shitty ass apartment. We're paying six hundred. They're paying three thousand five hundred dollars. Wow! Avoiding that whole digression and coming, bringing it back. So, <laughs> you good. mentioned that you learned to relate. So, what were the books that were grabbing your attention when you were a kid? I loved everything. I mean, my parents are really big readers, and they're both writers too. They're both poets. Oh wow! Yeah, they were also theater people. They briefly like owned a theater company they're really cool i was gonna say that i don't know how they ended up with me uh, that's really good yeah like we didn't have a lot of money but we had books <laughs> like 
bajillions of books. My mom is a huge sci-fi fantasy and horror fan. She likes mysteries now more than anything because she's over 50. But back in the day, I could, I think I still have her like first printing copies of like all of the Anne Rice vampire novels and like she has a bunch of Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, this seems really fun. Oh, this is very complicated. I'm going to read things that are just like this, but for simple people. (laughs) And so I remember there was, again, not a lot of money, but my mom was like, if you want books, you can have whatever you want. Like, that's fine. And so we'd go like once every two weeks to Barnes and Noble and she'd buy me and my brother's books and it was Animorphs like 100% I was obsessed (laughs) with Animorphs anything by R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike and then like the Anita Blake vampire novels and those like forget it like I could read that forever you had to walk by the horror section to get to the kids section at the Barnes and Noble that we used to go to Mm -hmm. and so that was always like are we gonna make it through this time to the kids stuff or are we gonna get stuck in this tunnel of like really scary stuff right now but from there it was just as my ability to comprehend what I was reading grew I would just basically anything that wasn't one of the canon classics that's what I was reading unless we were talking mythology which I read and reread voraciously I love Greek mythology and Roman mythology and Egyptian mythology that stuff Norse I mean I was also a really big tv watcher I used to at the peak tv watching I would watch about 16 hours of tv a day so anything that was like the things that I was watching on tv I would also pick up a book and read that so you know I grew up watching Xena so I was super into mythology and I grew up watching Oh, yes. Yeah, that was clearly the <laughs> anyone who knows me is like, uh-huh, yep, that makes sense. Or I, you know, I loved Buffy. So I read a bunch of like, you know, monster stuff and Stargate. And so I read about space. And then when I was a teenager, one of my teachers saw that I was having a very hard time. And he gave me an Octavia Butler book. Oh, wow. He gave me Dawn, which was the first of the Xenogenesis series. And that that changed my life, completely changed my life. Yeah, there's something really special about when a teacher will give you a book that's not a school book. Yeah. I've had a few people on the show who have mentioned that where it's like a teacher will take an interest and just like drop you a book and it just happens to be this like no perfect book for you. It was amazing. I mean, I've been writing since I learned how to read and I would do that instead of do classwork and homework. Like I just did not care because school was terrible. And he actually would share some of the things that I was writing with him. And so he kind of understood where I was coming from and he noticed for a couple of months, I didn't show him anything and I wasn't writing anything in my notebook. And like, I just was staring off into space and he was like, "Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think he wanted to get me back to, I had lost hope, basically. I was like, I'm never going to be a writer. There are no brown writers that look like me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just not possible. There are no characters like me. Like, and so he gave me this book and I think that it was partially to be like, no, we exist. <laughs> we exist and we've done good work. No, it's no joke. I mean, representation matters. It does. When I was a kid, one of the first things that I bought for myself was there was this like Korean bodega and they had a spinning rack of comics. And I saw the covers. I couldn't read clearly, but I was like, oh, I saw a Wonder Woman comic and an X-Men comic with Storm on it. And I think like a probably a rogue, I think. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy, you know, I want these. This is what I, I had, like, allowance money saved up. And so, like, <laughs> I bought these things. And for the longest time, I embarrassingly thought that Wonder Woman was Puerto Rican because I couldn't <laughs> read it. I just, like, context clues. I was like, she, you know, she's wearing, like, short shorts with stars on them and, like, a halter top with, like, a golden eagle and, like, bangles and, like, a tiara. Like, she clearly looks like one of my cousins. Like, she's 100, and she comes from an island, and the island is just full of, like, badass women. This is definitely a Puerto Rican, like, 
Like, there's no doubt. That's kind of perfect. In a way, I, like, escaped some of the there are no people like me. She just didn't happen to look like me, and that kind of, like, caused me strife later. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, mm -mm. and then my mom broke my heart (laughs) way, way late in life. I was 16, and I still believe that she was, like, Puerto Rican. My mom was like, you understand she's Greek, right? Like, she, (laughs) like, they're Amazons. And I was like, that's metaphor. And she's like, no. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's, they're Greek. She talks to the gods and completely wrecked me. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> it could be worse because she said this and I love it. And I and around that time is when I found out about Nubia, who is her twin brown sister. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that's good. That's fine. I'll take that. That's good. And transfer of affection and go. <laughs> yeah, done. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point did you find... Like, as you mentioned, looking at, at comics and have, and you know, in being interested in Wonder Woman, but also writing from a young age. At what point did those two interests merge to the point where you're like, I want to write comics? I think when I was a teenager, I worked comics retail for 10 years <laughs> on and off. And when I was about 19 is when I started working at Forbidden Planet over in New York. Oh, yeah, I've been there. It's a great store. <laughs> store yeah. it's, it's big. It's one of the bigger ones. Not as big as Midtown, but... I would not want to dust it. It's homey. But yeah. No, uh, I don't think that they do. So there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I was sitting around and I was reading comics all the time. I always wanted to write for television. I wrote prose, but I wanted to write for television. And I was like, that's never going to happen because no one that looks like me is writing television. I was like, oh, but like Milestone exists and like things like that. And like, you know, look at all these like superheroes and stuff. I bet I could write comics. And so I started trying to figure out how that worked around that time. And then I went to college and did not do it for a very long time. But <laughs> yeah, about about 19 years old is when I, I realized at different points in my life, I realized that people were responsible for making like the things that I consume and like that there were writers involved. And so when I was like 12, I realized that people wrote television and that was something that I could do. And then like, you know, it didn't just spring fully <laughs> formed onto your screen. I never thought about how it worked. And then I think I saw an interview with like, I don't know, somebody probably Joss Whedon or something. And I was like, oh, that's a job that I can have. And then <laughs> When I was reading comics regularly for the job, you never pay attention to the credits unless you're the kind of person that's like looking for something specific, I think. And I noticed the credits for the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, people make this. There's separate people. It's not just the person that draws it. There's like a writer person, too. This is the perfect medium ground to what I want to do. And so much later on, when I started pitching comics, I'd kind of had a couple of years to think about what that would mean. So I suppose, I mean, considering that Wonder Woman had such an impact on you, were any of your early pitches Wonder Woman scripts? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they were. And actually, my first published comic was an eight-page teaser for a Wonder Woman series that I would do. So when I did the DC Writers Workshop, each class has been different, and they just dropped the last classes, the anthology of their stuff to showcase. But our anthology was supposed to be a trailer for the series that you would write. And so I did, that was the first thing that I got published. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's just this eight-page silly story, you know, that's out of canon, but the shock of being able to say that I wrote a Wonder Woman thing. Yeah. I mean, I've pitched a couple of different things and I don't think that they'll happen, not because they're not open to stuff, but like, you know. Just logistically. Who am I? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, they put their, their heavy hitters. Up. Hey, you're Vita Ayala, damn it. Yeah. Maybe in the future, maybe I'll get to, you know, guess. I did get to write a 10 page story, which was illustrated by Claire Rowe and colored by Ms. Jordi Beller. And it was, it was amazing for the Wonder Woman annual for the rebirth. And that was, that was baller. <laughs> that was in canon. So I have actually done something in canon for Wonder Woman. That's awesome. Yeah. So last week when I talked to Emily, as I tend to do with comics creators, I just wanted to go through some quick hits 
of some books that are coming out now or books that have coming out recently that if someone wanted to kind of like get something that was really interesting that would really kind of spark their attention what would they be so do you have a, a list kind of of things that are really catching your eye yeah absolutely right now i i'm obsessed with copra oh yes i don't know yeah okay <laughs> i was gonna say i don't know if you know what that is i actually bought the first volume of copra at forbidden planet <laughs> good it is one of my favorite comics that's coming out right now. It's one of the only comics that I just have to buy every time it comes out. I'm legitimately deeply mm -hmm. obsessed with Tom King's Mr. Miracle, that book. Oh, so many people have been talking about this. I have to pick it up. Yeah, it's intense. I mean, I, I love Tom's writing in general. Like, the vision was amazing and his Batman's great and, like, you know, Omega Men. But Mrs. Miracle is, it's one of those books that changes your life. And I've never, ever had the experience before of being able mm. to read something like that as it comes out. Okay. So, like, you know, I remember when I first read, like, Transmetropolitan or, like, Watchmen and all that stuff. And those books were really intense and really important, but they had been done. And this is just like, oh my God, month to month, I literally get to experience a book that will change the shape of the industry. That's amazing. Wow. I also, <laughs> this is biased, but pretty much read whatever Matt Rosenberg puts out. Mm -hmm. Matthew Rosenberg, who right now is writing Punisher and a bunch of other great stuff over at Marvel. Um, he and I actually worked at Forbidden Planet together and are good friends. And his indie stuff is some of my favorite stuff. I love Four Kids Walking to a Bank that just came out in trade. Black Mask also just put out the second Kim and Kim volume, and I was super looking forward to that. Mags Visaggio. The Dregs just came out. That book, all the boys on the Dregs are wonderful human beings, and that book is one of my favorite books of the last year. So I would definitely suggest it because it just came out in trade as well. I don't know. I like, I buy in trade, so it's hard to talk about singles, I guess. I really love America, the Marvel series. Yeah. Brown, queer, always good. Angry, punches things. Yeah, angry, punching. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I was going to say, I have many panels from that Gillen McKelvey Young Avengers series about America <sighs> Chavez, just like ready to be reactions for things on the internet because it's so good. She's fave. She is absolute fave. You were saying Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? Yeah, I love Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Vault's been putting out a lot of good stuff. I got a sneak peek of Cult Classic, which is why I've been tweeting about it like a crazy person. That book mm. is going to be really good. That is a very good book. Yeah, with a few pages by one, Vitaella. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> I do have a small... Jen Bartel and I did do a two-pager for the series, but Elliot... I mean, that whole team is incredible, and mm. the main book is really great and i really hope it goes on for a long time because i know that they have a lot of ideas to keep it going so that's a great series basically i just i read anything that black mask and vault you know companies like that put out and then also like batman <laughs> <laughs> i'm biased oh i'm super excited for the batman and the signal comic it's coming out it's, uh duke gets his own his own outfit and his nice. own book it's being written by tony patrick and it looks dope <laughs> super dope so I do suggest that one. Oh, yeah. He gets the gold outfit. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I was like, it's so great. <laughs> He's working by day. <laughs> I was going to say, gee whiz, somebody with bright colors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That makes more sense. Why are you going to be wearing bright colors at night? What are you doing, Robin? What's going on? <laughs> In front of me, my target. Yeah. Isn't there that story about that? That like the reason that they redesigned the Batman outfit like with the big bright yellow thing is because they couldn't figure out how to make the costume movable and have armor at the time in like mm -hmm. the 80s. Yep. And so they were like, oh, just that piece is armored and people will shoot at it because it's super bright in the dark. And I was like, yeah. yeah, and it's got like four layers of Kevlar underneath it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, the meetings where it's like, all right, like I'm just picturing like so many like stubbed out cigarettes and empty cups of coffee, and it's like two in the morning. And it's like, all right, all right. <laughs> what if it's bulletproof? What if it's just like really bright and bulletproof? Can I go home, please? <laughs> please let me leave this place. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. All right, Vita. So if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? I'm on Twitter at definitely Vita. That's very simple. Definitely Vita. A very good Twitter account. Recommend to follow. You. Thank you very much. Yours is also awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I post about a lot of the comic stuff that I have going on there. Right now, I have all of the order pre-order codes for the Wilds, and any announcements that I have will be there. I don't think I'm really anywhere else online. I just tweet a lot, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the way to be, frankly. It's rough out there, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, Vita. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. I don't know what I'm going to title this episode, but I maybe it'll just be like topicless in Alphabet City or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. And your child is adorable. <laughs> Aww. I'll make sure to tell him that. I tell him every day. Yeah. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> Thank you very much to Vita Ayala for their time. When I asked them what they wanted for their signature drink, Vita said, I am a whiskey and scotch person. I range from Jessica Jones Garbage Whiskey, aka Dewar's White Label, to the fancy shit that comes in a cardboard and tin cylinder. Lafroig 15 year old is a personal fave. I loathe gin, so of course it's my wife's favorite. I don't loathe gin, I actually quite like gin, so your wife is in the right. But I do have a soft spot for some Lafroig. I actually taxed a little bit of that out of Kimiko's dad's liquor cabinet at Christmas, and it was quite a nice drop. But here's the thing about Lafroig. It doesn't need any help from anybody to be a good drink. Dewar's White Label, on the other hand, it needs a bit of a leg up. So I've got a drink today that will take any substandard scotch and bring it up to the next level. And so I present Avenue C. In a rocks glass full of ice, combine one and a half ounces of scotch whiskey, half an ounce of sweet vermouth, and a quarter ounce of maraschino liqueur. Luxardo is my favorite. Stir rapidly with a bar spoon, and garnish with a lemon twist. Give me an action, give me an emotion, and get the hell out of my way. Enjoy. recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. 
You can follow the show on Twitter at the Math of You, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokify, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokify82 on Snapchat. If you'd like to directly support the show and have a few dollars kicking around, you can head to patreon.com slash Lokify and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or, they don't tell you this on the website, you can pledge as much as you want. Like, look, not for nothing, but if I go in there and I see someone's pledged a thousand dollars, that would make my day. That would really impress me. Patreon backers get early access to episodes, cursive tweets, and other gifts like that, but mostly I just really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can head to iTunes in the country of your choice, or Apple Podcasts as they're calling it now, and leave a five-star rating. You can also leave a review, and I'll read it out on the show. Won't that be nice? For example, very cluey UK listener and former guest of the show, Lucy Harrison, alerted me to a review on the UK Apple Podcast Store. So here it is. People talking about things they love with passion and positivity is one of my favorite growing podcast niches. The production quality reminds me of listening to BBC Radio 4 late at night in my younger years, and this podcast has now become my companion on the late night bus commute from work. That was left by Chris underscore Lynch 90. Thanks so much, Chris. That was really nice. If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash themathofyou with capitals at the beginning of each word to find a Spotify playlist with every song I've ever used going back to episode one, including this one. It's Feel It Still by Portugal the Man. And if you listen closely, it actually nicks the melody rhythm from Please Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes. That's not a knock on it, it's just an interesting fact that I can't get out of my head. I update the playlist every Wednesday night when the episode goes live, so make sure you're subscribed to get new music in your ears. Next week, I'll be talking to music journalist Lisa Marie Furla about Narnia, X-Files, and constructed bands from British television. Join me, won't you? Your headshot on, the <laughs> on Skype is... It looked like a professional headshot. That's great. Mine is like the camera from my phone like four years ago. <laughs> it's because I had to do a Skype interview for a job. So I like used my LinkedIn headshot, which is one where a friend was like, hey, you're unemployed. I need headshots for my portfolio. Just like walk down to the studio. And then it was take your glasses off. I don't feel like removing reflections. And so I got that. <laughs> and so the result is I turn up with my glasses on and people don't recognize me. <laughs> That's perfect. The Clark Kent actually works. Exactly. I can't anticipate you asking anything that will make me particularly uncomfortable. I grew up in New York, so. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had a few New Yorkers on. I was saying the other day that the number one concentration of guests that I've had has been like New York, followed by Minnesota, and then a distant second by Australia. So I think I've had maybe like three Australian guests, but then I've had like six New Yorkers from the various boroughs, and then I've had like, I think four or five people from Minnesota. What is it in Minnesota? New York, I understand, because there's like eight million people, but like Minnesota, huh? Well, the way it worked out with Minnesota was that initially I had Aiden Sullivan on and she knows people and there was an artist friend of hers who I had commissioned to do something and I was like, oh hey I should have you on the show because she's real cool and does like not just art but embroidery and painting and sculpture and stuff so she's like she designed me a tattoo and she's like oh by the way with that design I could make it a patch if you want it and I'm like uh oh. yes so that shit out of my bag like a boy scout <laughs>
I enjoy that you have a patch of your tattoo. <laughs> it's one of the runes from I Kill Giants, and I specifically sent it to her uh. as, like, it's the little lightning bolt with the two hammerheads on either side. And yeah. I, I said, like, the one she stitches on her purse. And I said, I want it to look like stitching, like it is in the, in the book. Like, and I kind of really, like, terribly drew it out in a wax crayon, just to be like, I want this to look simple, but I want it to be effective. And she sent me this, like, beautiful design, because she's like, well, you know, I was looking at merit badges for inspiration. Here it is, like, where you can do a really rough thing and then you can do this really beautiful like sort of filigree black stitching over it and it looks like a badge and she actually used a stitching pattern so she's like yeah it's very easy to just go in and use that for my, my sewing i can't fathom being that talented or skilled <laughs> like <laughs> i can do one thing <laughs> i know so many people are like oh yeah i draw and i paint and i make music and i'm like oh my god i can barely <laughs> put my pants on in the morning what is happening <laughs> Yeah, something I was talking to Emily about last week where I was like, because she was like, oh yeah, I was just sketching. And I went, are you one of those people who like posts something like beautiful and resonant and amazing and simple and goes, oh, you know, just a messy warm up. And I'm like, shut <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> you know? I'm always like, ah, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> what? Oh my God. Jen Bartell will like oh, put up her Jen like Bartell. work in progress. And I'm like, God, she's so amazing, please. Like, we were literally, like, Emily and I were literally talking about, like, I cut it out of the episode because it was during a part that wasn't, because she was, like, looking something up. She's like, just give me a sec. And I was talking, and we mentioned Jen Bartell. Fucking Jen Bartell is so talented. Like, it's ridiculous. She's <laughs> so amazingly skilled and so nice. Like, she, like, we worked on a very small project together, and I... Oh, yeah, yeah, cult classic, right? Yeah, the two-pager. I don't understand how she manages to do all that she does and is still just a ray of sunshine. Like, she's amazing. You know, I think it's like, what's the reverse of a curse? Like a blessing. It's, <laughs> it's the blessing yeah. of those IDW gem books where everyone on them is just like awesome and like nice. I don't get it. I don't know. Like to touch the property means you're also able to draw like amazing hair as well. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I actually, I tell her this regularly, but I'm always like, Jen, you can draw black people hair and that makes me so happy because no one cares about drawing black people hair. She's like, I just taught myself because black people have different kinds of hair. <laughs> like, like, I love you so much. Jedi in that series gets so much good hair and so much natural <sighs> hair. And I'm like, yes, awesome. Yes, all the hair. So beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. That series is really good. I dropped off a little with Gem Infinite because it's like I have to kind of wait until they back up on Comixology and then go down in price a bit before I then bulk buy because otherwise I end up with an iPad full of comics that I can't download anymore because my yeah. girlfriend and I share a Comixology account. If she's read them and I haven't or, or vice versa, they sit on the iPad and so it's like we can't. Then I wait like three months and like pick up Monstrous again and I'm like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> Oh yeah, I gotta reread. There's some books that I definitely just start again whenever, because <laughs> I I buy trades if I buy like mm -hmm. you know if I'm, I'm buying books just because I live in New York and there's no space here. Mm -hmm. And so like I'll pick up yeah monsters and be like wait who is this again? All right, I'm gonna reread this whole series. It's, it's fine. But is he a bad guy now? I don't know. It's like <laughs> they're all so pretty. I don't know who's evil. <laughs> Same with Paper Girls. Oh my god. I actually did that the other day where it's like, I got a new crop of Paper Girls issues. And just on a whim, I literally started from number one. And I like powered through, I think it was 16 issues in an hour and 15 minutes because the pace of that book is fucking relentless. And it's like the whole thing is done in a run. It is, it is. And it's, it never stops. It is a perfect for like Netflix style story. Mm -hmm. It's just like there's actions, there's action, there's quipping, there's emotional moments, but then you can't, <laughs> you're not going to stop. 
You're yeah. not gonna stop. You're gonna go back in time. You're gonna go forward in time. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there's, there's a slight reveal, and then there's a secret, and then that's a reveal. But oops, you've been kicked to caveman times. Yeah, that messed me up. I was like, I picked the first one up when the third one came out, so I just mm-hmm. grabbed them all together, and I was like, wait, how would this even? How would you read this week to week, <laughs> or month to month rather? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> because I would have been insane if, like, after the first issue, the third trade, like, I had to wait and be like, what? What do I do? <laughs> Yeah, you gotta read it like it's a time loop. And again, every time it starts, you go one, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Like just constantly looping back to the beginning. I think maybe it makes more sense that way, like in a Fibonacci sequence kind of reading of the comic book. Yeah, or like one of those castles in Mario where you have to go and you have to hit the door. And then while you're in, like after you're in that door, you then have to run past that door to the second one and then go back to the first one before it lets you. I hated that shit when I was a kid. It was impossible. You couldn't, I, no, you could save at that point, I think. Yeah, no, yeah. wait, you could. It was, no, it was in Super Mario World, which I know because I just got the SNES okay. Classic and we've been playing it again. You have to get to the end of the world to save. And if you don't, you have to do the whole world over again. It punishes you, it really does. Oh my God, I've been like, because I was a Genesis kid, so I didn't play a lot of these games. So when I got the SNES Classic, I'm like, oh, I can finally play Super Metroid as an adult, where it's not just gonna frustrate me at a friend's house because they're stuck on a bit. Incorrect, it's still gonna frustrate you. It's just at home. (laughs) It's still a good game. It's an excellent game, but I realized that I would get mad because I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, so literally to find the way out of this room without dying, I literally had to bomb every single brick in the floor, in the walls, (laughs) and in the ceiling to find the one that would let me step down so I could hit a crack in the wall that would open a spot that I could roll through as a ball. And I was like, fuck this game. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm commiserating. I got the SNES Classic for my wife. She never grew up with video games. She knows about them kind of tangentially, but like, you know, I grew up in all that stuff. And so I was like, I'd like to see this through your eyes. And she's playing A Link to the Past for the first time. And it's the funniest. I've ever seen in my life. She'll see like the most benign bad guy and just go screaming running in the opposite direction and then turn around and then just go screaming with the sword back. <laughs> How do I kill him? I was like, well, you have to face him to kill him first of all. And she'll just be like, oh, this thing looks dangerous. I'm going to touch it. And I'm like, well, that's how you die. So that's good. <laughs> but it... Any enemy in any game that its job is to like grab you and pull you in and hold you for a couple of seconds and just like drain your health away and i'm like mashing buttons going fuck you fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you and you jump away but you don't you jump straight up in the air so you fall straight back into it and it gets you again and i'm just like yeah. oh. or for mega man brother mega oh, man x oh, yeah. which i'm obsessed with those games one and two but i forgot like you forget how difficult all of those damn games were back yeah, then it's like even if you work <laughs> the level to the point where you're like okay i know my wrath is the level i can do it pretty clearly and then you get to the boss and then you fuck up the pattern on the boss like that stupid penguin where you have to hide in the corner and just like jump, 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 and then wait till he does his slide and then shoot him. And it's like, okay, I know what that is, but if you fuck it up once, that's half your health. Yes, it's not forgiving. Mind you, the things have completely sold out, so clearly we all are masochists. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, this is what we want to do with our lives is spend hours in front of 16 bits just screaming at our HD television. (laughs) And yeah, it's like I was playing XCOM 2 on my PS4, which is a similar level of frustration and high stress. And so it's like stepping back to play Super Metroid is actually like a breather from, you know, (laughs) a bunch of soldiers that look like my friends dying brutally in unfair ways. (laughs) 
it's it's bananas that game i lose hair when i play that game i'm just so stressed out all the time i'm standing like i can't sit down we have it for the computer i make my brother play it actually because i'm like i don't want to be in charge of their lives i just want to dictate what they're doing so you press the buttons and when they die that's on you and you can be there being like go over there and hide there and then like one of the codex things that can teleport comes in and it just like teleports directly behind your cover and starts killing all your dudes and you're just like ah, ah no no i had this one and then in one turn the whole thing yes. can go bad and then they split yeah <laughs> so you're like now there are two of you good <laughs> excellent or the the guys what are they called uh i think they're archons the guys that you hit them and they get angry flying to the air and then just obliterate the board they just yeah. throw down those pinion things yeah you get like one turn to like book it and then they yeah. nuke the entire team. And you think you're far enough away, and no, you were not far enough away. Or they're between you and the timed goal, and you're like, oh, God. Well, it's time to run and gun. <laughs> General, we have to get to that archive. We're running out of time. And you're like, motherfucker, I know. I know I can see the clock. <laughs> it's so brutal. Uh, I'd be uh, the most passive-aggressive general. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst. I sit there and I'm like, all right, we're going back four turns because clearly I fucked up somewhere here, so... Oh, when you reload no, no. an autosave and it takes forever and you get there and you realize it's the wrong one where, like, three people just died. Always, always. <laughs> They're designed to make you just completely lose your mind. I've found that certain flavor of game that I really enjoy and it's all the games where you're just like I can't sleep I'm so worried about these non-people <laughs> I was watching my brother play Layers of Fear have you ever played this game no what's that one it's one of those games where you walk around and you just explore there isn't really a fight mechanic but it's a horror game you wake up and you're a painter and you're trying to figure out why you're alone in this house in your house and everything is kind of going to ruin you find pieces of paper that are like notes to your wife or from your wife newspapers that kind of stuff with Without spoilers, this is the scariest game I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's just, it was so stressful. I passed out like four times. I would like be sitting there and something would happen and I would just collapse. It was just like, <laughs> what happened? Is everyone okay? I forgot to breathe. That was not a good move. <laughs> I decided that like the first time I played Gone Home, I was going to okay. play it like in an empty apartment at night. <laughs> with the subwoofer turned on on my computer. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's like- Why are you Because I was just like, I just want to, you know, I know it's immersive, so I'll do that. And I'll sit real close to the screen so it like kind of wraps my vision. And there's one bit where you like, you see a cross and it's like, if you choose to interact with it, the light bulb overhead bursts. It goes paf, oh like that. And oh my God. <laughs> mm -mm. No, no, no. That's how I have art. And then later you find a note in the pantry and it says, oh, the floorboard in the middle of the hallway is actually leading on an electrical main. So be careful if you step on it, it'll actually fry the light. I've marked it with like a bit of tape. So people know this, you're like, motherfucker, you knew. That's so good. That's yeah. so freaking good. <laughs> oh man. So I've been very quiet because I've been handed a baby. There's currently a baby sitting on my knee. Oh, I'm so jealous. I love babies. <laughs> Hang on, I'll drop a picture into the chat real quick he's very tired he just woke up and he had like a giant sleep so i'm so sorry tiny baby <laughs> i gotta figure out how to get headshots like yours this is great <laughs> i'll drop by sydney i'll hook you up with my friend margaret yeah right <laughs> i'll see what i can oh look at that face he's so cute he's got his little harry potter jammies on oh no <laughs> that's so <laughs> 
Ah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I've accepted that my Instagram has become just the wall of babies. Yeah. And every once in a while, I'll post something else, and it will get nearly as many likes, and I'll just be like, oh, I see, my audience has changed. It's like, yeah. it's babies are bust. Ah. <laughs> uh... Yep, yep, definitely that biological clock. <laughs> Oof, that is one very cute baby. 